0: For me, I've learned that there are these certain qualities, that when I show up in the world with those certain qualities, things just start happening.
1: Welcome to the Thriving on Overload podcast. I am Ross Dawson, a futurist and entrepreneur fascinated by how we can excel at dealing with the universe of information. and the author of the book, Thriving on Overload. Every week, we share insights from information masters on how they transform today's avalanche of information into insight, foresight, and better decisions. For more goodness on this topic, be sure to visit thrivingonoverload.com, where there are a wealth of resources to help you thrive, including all podcast episodes with transcripts, excerpts from my book, and if you are really intent on amplifying your information productivity, the Thriving on Overload interactive course, which helps you develop a personal information plan you can immediately put into practice. And be sure to sign up for our weekly Tips for Thriving newsletter if you want to optimize your information productivity. If you enjoy this episode, please do subscribe and give a rating or review on iTunes. It helps others interested in this topic to find these resources. Now, on with the show. On this episode, we learn from Robin Athey. Robin is the founder of Integral Growth, which guides founders and leaders in fast moving, complex, high growth environments through transformational change to tap and trust their inner wisdom. She comes from a high powered corporate career, including nine years as research director at Deloitte. You can find more about Robin's work at integralgrowth.com. In this episode, you'll be inspired by Robin's perspectives on intellectual cocaine, the journey to purpose, slow leadership. And finding your North Star. Keep listening to learn from Robin's
2: great insights. Robin, it's a delight to have you on the show.
0: Ross, thank you.
2: So when we think about overload and how it is we can thrive of it, what what comes to you first when you think about that, Robin?
0: Well, I'm laughing because when you say the word overload, I have these flashbacks, actually, to the beginning of the internet. And, you know, you remember, I don't know if you remember, but like the dawning of what was happening and the impact it was going to have. And, (laughs) (laughs) you know, there was everyone was kind of like flying around talking about overload. And then all of a sudden, I remember that dread of feeling it. And um so it was interesting as I was just reflecting on this and, and preparing for our interview it had me really reflecting on you know how do we actually thrive and and what is that and how is it that I I feel like I've learned to thrive and there have been so many different dimensions of that happening
2: So I think one of those is purpose.
0: One of those for sure is purpose. I would say purpose and having a really clear filter to decide what to take in and what not to take in. But it had me really focused to or, or orient towards um, how I've managed overload, even with my body, you right. know, what I can possibly digest. Um So I was having memories of, you know, the early days when not only was the internet happening, but you and I were connected in some similar circles, you know, around like the early to mid 2000s. And, And I was involved in so many different councils and there were so many ideas flying around and the internet was propelling a lot of those and around knowledge management and how do we handle all of this. And You know, I was sitting in those uh, councils. I remember at one point feeling like, wow, this is intellectual cocaine. Like, I can get so addicted to this. And at the time, I lived life largely from my head. And so taking in all of that information, it was intoxicating. Um, And I actually didn't know how to digest it. You know, at the time, I was practicing yoga and meditating and all of that. But I was living life so much from my head that it was just like I felt myself ping-ponging through all the days, you know, like from one idea to the next and the next and the next, Um, but not in a way that was really coherent and not in a way that I could really make sense of a lot of it. And the impact that I wanted it to have, and I I really wasn't clear at all how it was going to channel through me as a human being um, who wanted to have impact in the world. And so I was largely a broker I, I, I could think of myself as kind of a dealer of this intellectual cocaine, but I was to constantly connecting ideas, people with people and ideas with ideas, and really spurring on a lot of <laughs> the addiction to ideas and information.
2: Uh, That's only resonates a lot with me where I also live in my head a lot and I part of the, the way I bring myself back to the body is trying to get in the ocean every day. Uh, right. But but yeah, you know, as it just as that balance, because otherwise, yeah, you're caught entirely in the head and the ideas. So, yeah, you know, I, I believe that, you know, purpose informs, as you say, the filtering and the, the, how it is you balance yourself. So tell me about that journey to purpose for how, how does that happen for you to, for starters?
0: Yeah, the journey to purpose I would say is um, it's largely one of, of really listening to my instincts and trusting trusting deeper instincts. And and if I track back Ross to when that journey even started, I think it probably started when I was a kid. You know, I look back at some of the things where I feel where I feel very aligned with purpose today is stuff that was planted in me as a kid you know, and whether that was nature nurture, I don't know, it's beyond my pay grade. But what I'm really clear about, though, is that the instincts were there when I was a kid. And then there were certain points along my path that I'll just share, I'll I'll highlight as like dark nights of the soul, which started early for me and probably in my early 30s, you know, as a leader, actually, as a senior leader in an organization, I remember encountering well, my second dark night of the soul, the, the first actually happened when I was about 25, you know, where I really went through a passage that had me really consider the path that I was on and led me into some pretty dark places where I had to go in and look at patterns, things that were happening for me that... um felt very much out of alignment with something that wanted to come through me and i i didn't have any words for that at the time i only knew what i didn't want and what i didn't want was some of the stuff that i was engaged in so i'll give you an example and when i was 33 i was a, a senior leader at very high profile organization at the time very well-known brand and i um I was a, a VP and jetting around the world and handling production and stuff like that. And I was miserable. Like I had the car and the office and all of that at the fancy office and five-story townhouse and, you know, filled with mahogany, everything, you know, I had arrived in Italian suits and the best shoes and bags and all of that. And, um, Cleverous. <laughs> it was very clever. <laughs> very high flag you know, jetting off to Italy and South America, and anyway i um I really hit this point where I was just really unhappy, and it was one of the first it was one of these points that uh, that uh, learning that oh all these entrapments, you know, the fancy car and all of that are what I'm supposed to want, right? At 33, I'm at this place where most people try to get to, you know, all the way through their 50s. And I was lucky to have an experience early to realize that, oh, my identity is not really this car that I spent forever, um, you know, buying because I couldn't decide what color was the best color for me. (laughs) You know, was it white or red or... (laughs) So it was a really early introduction for me to some of my egoic fixations. And um, and I would say, you know, it's a, a point because it led me onto a, okay, I don't want to be doing what I'm doing. What do I want to be doing? And what am I naturally good at? And um, I would say that that's a journey that's haunted me most of my life, you know, kind of twisting in my britches about, you know, who am I? Who do I want to be? And kind of looking everywhere, you know, and trying so many different things and jetting around the world. I um there's this kid's book. I don't know if you have ever heard of it. It's called Are You My Mother? And in it no, there's a not. little little bird that makes its way out of its nest while its mother is off getting food and it makes its way out of the nest and it doesn't know who its mother is so it goes to ask like the chicken and the dog and the the cat and the cow are you my mother and it was kind of like that with purpose it's i try all these different things it's like are you my purpose are you my purpose Right. And then I came to understand, like, purpose is not a what, it's not a thing, it's it's more for me, I guess, like in essence, it's a way of living in life and being in relationship with life.
2: So are there any tools or frameworks that you've uh, found useful on that path?
0: Tools or frameworks for finding purpose? Yes. Yeah, well, I've experimented with a lot of them. And I actually guide people on, on purpose journeys to these days because it was so much a part of my life for so long and continues to be. You know, sometimes clients will call me and, you know, they'll think they want to go on a purpose journey and then they realize maybe that's too big. And, and the, the one very simple thing that I orient to them towards is just the inquiry. You know, how can I best serve in the world? is an example of that. How can I best serve? And just to be in that inquiry um, alone, I found to be very powerful. And then there are all sorts of things that supplement that. Um, for me, meditation, dance, you know, being able to receive, to listen to signals of life as I, I navigate. You know, there are definitely Things that you can do in journeys like going out there, going on soul quests and nature and things like that, things that I've done that have been hugely helpful, Um, things that you can do to speed up a journey to get really clear about one's purpose But for me it's definitely not a what it's not like oh i'm meant to be an architect or you know that's my purpose in the world but it's more um it has a quality of service when i get to the essence that helps me to navigate information overload it's more of an essence it's how i'm in relationship with life how do i live my life and how do i navigate the world in relationship with myself with others Um, And for me, I've learned that there are these certain qualities that when I show up in the world with those certain qualities, things just start happening. So, you know, I can often struggle or strive, you know, try really, really hard. And when that happens, it's hard to feel in alignment with purpose. And when I rest and allow, the best word that I can come come up with is a kind of graciousness you know it's not a relaxing into life and letting life happen to me but more an engaging and I'm let's see if this makes sense um as I just tap into it right now when I come into a place of purpose in my relationship and I'm pretty clear what I care about in the world and I'm super like that's my north star and I'm pretty clear how I best serve when I orient towards that, I feel a coherence in my body. And then I just keep coming back to that over and over and over again. And, you know, the tools that have helped me to get there have uh, been all about being very intentional, that this is something that really matters for me. So, yeah.
2: Are there any uh, stories from other people, sort of public or otherwise, that? Do you think illustrate this?
0: Yeah, I'm laughing because I recently on a podcast, I actually brought up the, the case of a client and then I wondered if I should really do that. Um, yeah. Well, let me use it. I'll use a kind of composite example. So I'll say as a headline to this that often when people come to me to go on people on purpose journeys that you know, they think they need to make some radical change in their life, And often they'll find out that they're exactly in the right place. It's really a matter of changing how they are in relationship with what they're doing. And I've noticed that as a theme um, over and over again. And people have made some pretty big changes, you know, gone back for PhDs or, you know, left their work to reorient with their network in a new way. For me it involved like months in ashrams and long stints in India and Brazil and all these different places. But I want to say that it doesn't require that. It doesn't require that. Give me a little bit more of a prompt here in terms of like a curiosity you have.
2: Well the I suppose the the finding. So it is this process of finding. And as you say that that's obviously very unique because uh, we are all unique and our purposes are unique and how we find yeah. it is unique. But uh, I suppose it's around the path. And, you know, I, I, to your point, I believe that the path is is the answer in a way, you know, as, as if you arrive somewhere or you have a purpose. But it's around, you know, what are, the, what are the, I suppose, examples of 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 a pathway, which I think could be useful to others in trying to find their own in, who are on that path. Yeah path of looking for purpose?
0: Well, I'll share with you that some of the key things that for me have been most powerful and important are having some way, first of all, of, I guess, getting quiet inside is the best way to say it. This may sound a little abstract. um, And I found that my moments of insight about my purpose were not things that I made happen. They weren't insights that I made happen. They arrived. That's the best way I can describe it. They came as these like spontaneous insights that were not about me thinking about something, but they happened when I was very, very quiet inside. And then all of a sudden I would receive an insight about Something. And I've had a daily meditation practice for 25 years, and that's helped a lot, you know, to get quiet. So, meditation, some kind of contemplative practice, key. Patience, key. Inquiry, key. Curiosity, key. And then, you know, there are morning practices I think that are really useful. When I guide people in purpose journeys, we establish some kind of morning practice that I would say opens this field of curiosity. And it really, curiosity is so key on this. You know, if, if, if I go out and try to make my purpose happen, it's as if it can't find me, you know, but curiosity and going lightly. So, you know, working with the body, I think is really important. Um, You know, when I've received these insights, sometimes I felt my arms buzz, like it's had that kind of sensation you know, it's it's like something in me tingles even. I, I've had those kinds of downloads, or whatever you want to call them, where everything in my body is like you know, lighting up and saying that. And um, so, you know, to do that, I would say any kind of somatic practice or body-based practice, you know, and not just like going out for a jog, like plugged into the news or something like that, um, you know, or, or music. I guess jogging's okay, but Practices that really loosen the body up, dance, yoga, can be useful. Um, A lot of people, um, I think, who are very aligned with a sense of purpose practice qigong or tai chi or something like that. So we set up some kind of morning practice. And then do things that allow life to be simpler. Um, You know, It's interesting, we're talking about information overload. I think so much of being able to get clear about one's purpose in life really has to do with simplifying one's practice, one's day, um, and avoiding information overload. You know, avoiding the kind of, it, there's, you know, when whenever the brain encounters uncertainty, it registers it as physical pain. So not knowing one's path can trigger a lot of uncertainty for people you know and so they might go out and consume everything they possibly can and i'm not sure that's the way because when we consume information i'm not sure that we have those kind of spontaneous insights that just naturally come we might but um you know, there's something about relaxing. You know, working hard and relaxing. I, last thing I'll just share for now is I'm I'm remembering. You know, Einstein. Apparently, the story of Einstein receiving the relatively relativity theory is just that. You know, he's sitting on a hill and his eyes are kind of like gazing. You know, off and he hears this clock chime and he's looking across. As I understand, he's on a hill and overlooking a town and. You know, and there's this deep relaxation, you know, that's happened. And you know, I've heard of inventions being born in bathtubs and so on, you know, and then boom, something comes in. So it's kind
1: of like that. You are listening to the Thriving on Overload podcast. If you truly want to increase your information productivity, then check out the Thriving on Overload interactive course. It is designed to significantly enhance your information practices and habits guiding you through creating your own personal information plan so you can excel in a world of overload. Go to thrivingonoverload.com slash course to find out more. Now back to the show.
2: So which takes us to the filtering part as in what are the choices you make? So from you know the sense of purpose or in its essence or whatever it may be. So what's the process then of using that to filter, to say, well, this is something that I will spend time with, this is something I won't spend time with, uh, this is important, this is not important. How, how do you take that into your daily routine? Because you know, that's the reality. Information comes to you daily, it through comes your day.
0: to me daily, and it is a daily practice. And, you know, like most people, I can so easily go down. My, my, <laughs> my purpose Nemesis is that the right word is Yahoo News for whatever reason I had a Yahoo account from early days and I'm still it's it's you know learning about Britney Spears isn't necessarily aligned with my purpose but I can get trapped there <laughs> and I set limits you know if I'm going go to go into that sinkhole 10 minutes and then I've got to be back
2: So do you set a timer or how do you know that it's I watch your my clock
0: up? I'll set I'll right. set you know by 3:30 you know i'm going to be back so and i i have found to be honest with you that what i do is something that i care about so much that i actually don't lose myself for long periods of time when i didn't know what i wanted to do and i think when i wasn't as when it wasn't as easy for me to digest life you know as it was showing up, it would be a lot more alluring to numb myself out, you know, go internet surfing. And and mind you, some magical things have happened in those periods of time where I was felt a little lost and didn't know exactly what I was doing. Sometimes, you know, I would discover things on the internet in particular. I met a group of social entrepreneurs years ago that I'm still with, you know just surfing one day and like following curiosity and huh what's that about you know and then going through a portal and realizing oh my god there's this cool group of people i didn't know about so anyway, it's uh, i'm still part of that community today and um you know, I allow some time for wandering because otherwise I get rebellious. You know, I'm insatiably curious. Um, so, but I do care about what I'm doing enough that it's what I want to come back to over and over again. So, you know, my my fascination with, you know, the Free Britney movement <laughs> or whatever it happens to be, I'm just throwing that out, you know, is it has a natural... um Lifespan, I guess, it just doesn't last that long because it's not as interesting as what I love, and I want to come back. And so I do have boundaries, and I think morning routines matter a lot. You know, my I start the day. I don't know if you, do you know this saying, eating the frog. You know, doing that thing. Apparently, it comes from Mark Twain.
2: If you start the day, I, you know,
0: eating a frog, then it's something like you know, you're guaranteed not to have anything worse happened in the day. is like I, <laughs> loosely how it goes. <laughs> so I start the day, you know, eating the frog, like doing the thing that I know I need to do that's going to have the biggest return. And right now for me, that's writing and um, I'm, I'm working on a book. And so, you know, I eat the, I'm eating the frog in the morning first thing. So, you know, starting that day with that way and then knowing when I get tired in the, at the end of the day, you know, that's the day where I'm most easily, you know, I can most easily stray into something else because my will is not as great. So, you know, I really focus in the morning. I have, there are rituals that I have every morning and that helps me to stay focused and um, and then it's just coming back again and again to the thing that I love. And mind you, the thing that I love has so many dimensions to it. And so I can easily get lost in that. Um, you know, Having very clear projects. So I orient my days around client projects, you know, that are things that I really care about, that I want to deliver on. That sets boundaries, writing, really constructing, and having no more than, you know, four big projects four to five big projects at any given time. I kind of max it out. I constantly stretch myself, but really organizing.
2: Only four or five. Only
0: four or five, exactly. Yeah, I I swear I could live 11 parallel lives at once, you know, and I'd love to have eight, nine, 10. Calendar blocking for me is huge. Calendar blocking and making sure I go through a lot of planning. Um, You know, I get really clear about I have a pretty clear sense of where I want to be in three years, how I want to be living. And it's quite a different picture than how I'm living today. Um, I want to be bringing leaders out into the land and doing um, much more nature based work than I am right now and living in a place actually where we can bring people. And that li- that's very different than how I'm orienting right now, where where I live right now. And so you know, that is like a North Star. And then I have that as like a three-year vision, and then I have a vision beyond that. Um, but the that three-year vision just kind of keeps me honest. So I back that up to a one-year plan, then a nine-month plan. And, um, you know, I have some, I'm, I am a little bit rebellious. I rebel if my goals get too strict, but I have very clear intentions. And then calendar block every week religiously on Sundays I sit down and decide you know how am I best gonna spend this week and and I make sure as I go because I block out my calendar about two to three months in advance for the most part like I'm pretty clear about where I'm going to be going with clients um I just make sure that every day is balanced That I don't get into six hours six or seven hours of non-stop calls which it could do.
2: So the schedule then just sort of keeps you keeps you on track?
0: Keeps me honest, yeah.
2: So are there any, any practices for, I suppose, sense-making? So in whatever field which you're delving into, so writing a book, that's a lot of focus, and you've got some organizing themes there, and there's a lot to digest. So yeah. do you have any practices or approaches for how it is you make sense or, you know, what I describe as synthesis Mm. of the, these, uh, all these elements.
0: I'll come back to this metaphor of a North Star because it's one that's so, that's used so often and it's, and for a reason, I think for me, it's really powerful. So with this particular book that I'm writing, I really, I want to have a certain impact Um, I want, there's a, there are some questions that I'm asking with a book that are really important for me. So just to, you know, to fill in on, on the nature of the book, the book, the working title for the book is slow leadership. And my proposition is that, um, to navigate complexity, the complexity and the uncertainty of the world that we're in, which is a thing I love, um, is understanding how to, you know, exploring how to do that. Um, To navigate complexity and uncertainty, um, as leaders, we really need to learn to slow down. We, most leaders I know, know how to go fast. Few leaders I work with know how to slow down as well. And so, you know, the impact that I want to have is, you know, for leaders to question some of the, the sacred cows of, my little provocateur comes out of Wall Street, you know, bigger, bigger, we've got to go bigger, bigger of, of, uh, venture capitalists, you know, faster, 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 runway, runway, you know, and in the Silicon Valley, you know, go fast enough to break things. And I want to question some of that because I think there's a lot of, there's, a, you know, an appropriate aspect of that, you know, fast enough to break things is, you know, really to fail to, you know, do, supposedly safe to fail experiments. Um, but there's this urgency of, of and this theme of action that's become so prevalent, not just in in the private sector, but also in social justice and other sectors, climate that I work with. And the urgency has set people into this like a kind of blind action, a lot of leaders. And so I want to be able to tell stories of um, you know what happens when you go too fast as people look in the rear view mirror as leaders look in the rear view mirror. I want to um, I want to be able to tell those stories. I want to talk about the neurobiology of what happens to our decision making when we go fast. I want to talk about how decision making and complexity and uncertainty is so different than when you're in a predictable world and most leaders are still, you know, approaching complex adaptive situations as if they were predictable. And that's, they're a very different beast. You know, it's, these are not just problems that you're to solve. Um, They invite a lot of perspective taking and um, they invite a lot of inquiry and a pausing. So this is my North Star. I know the impact that I want to have. I know the question that I'm wanting to ask. And then I do my best To just stay on that path, open to possibly to possible pivots, Um, mind you, you know all of those things that I just mentioned unleash lots. They unleash neurophysiology and trauma and the body and Mm -hmm. egoic fixations and patterns and blind spots and our conditioning as human beings and you know our social, our nature as social beings, you know, that can't survive alone where, you know, there are good reasons that we listen to Wall Street and everyone else to feel social acceptance and so on. So it unleashes a lot, but, um, you know, getting, I think, structuring, getting clear about what the structure is going to be for this. And I would say this is true, whether I'm working, this is a book or it's a project that I'm working on really deciding what the bones of that are going to be early on is really important you know what am i going to speak to what am i not going to speak to and if it's a project for a client you know doing team stuff with a client you know where are they at what am i going to speak to what am i not going to speak to
2: so creating a frame yeah yes yes no i think that's a we need the frames we otherwise the frames. we don't know where the boundaries are yes so to round out i mean of course we've delved very much into the purpose and the, the quest, which I suppose transcends a lot of this idea of overload. But beyond anything which we've, we've covered, are there any sort of final thoughts or, you know, ideas or recommendations for um, for those listening on how to, you know, be well yeah. and to prosper? And while we, uh, while we are assaulted by information on all sides.
0: Yeah. You know, the thing to me that probably goes most core is wanting to be well, wanting to prosper, wanting to have a clear sense of purpose. You know, that very desire, something turns on and just truly wanting to be well, truly wanting to prosper, which is not for me about, wealth and making life more complex necessarily but having everything that i need um for me to serve in the world you know that's kind of what gets me puts wind in my sails so you know it's just wanting that
2: and finding how to do it
0: and then finding out how to do it how to have how to have support um i think yeah I think they're better around purpose, you know, there's some practices for me that are more effective than others, but just wanting it alone, you know, and then experimenting and going out and seeing what happens. Patience for me is a quality that's so important in this domain, you know, and just patience and it's not overnight that these things necessarily change. You know, it's easy to fall back in old habits and just having the patience to get up the next day and try again and show up over and over and over again is very powerful.
2: Yes, takes you to wonderful places. <laughs>
0: Indeed. <laughs> like into the water swimming every day.
2: <laughs> thank you so much for your time and your insight, uh, Robin. That's really, I found that really powerful. So thank you.
1: Thank you, Ron. Thank you for listening to the show. If you want more resources to help you thrive in a world of exponential information, go to thrivingonoverload.com, where you can find all podcast episodes, transcripts, show notes, excerpts from my book, Thriving on Overload, the Thriving on Overload interactive course, and a trove of other useful content and resources, including a weekly Tips for Thriving newsletter to keep across it all. If you like this episode, please do help us be found by giving us a rating or review and subscribe if you'd like to hear more. This is Ross Dawson. Thank you for listening. Have a wonderful day.